Thank you for joining me, Mark Grixtie, for this invitation to explore deeper together into the divinity, science, spaciousness, and intuition of hurt and healing with awe in trauma. Wonderful. David Grant, thank you so much for joining me. It's really a pleasure to have you on this, uh, this episode of this podcast. Thank you. My pleasure to be uh, with you, my friend. <laughs> well, we've been friends a while now. I was just thinking back. We met in London when you came over to do a training, and uh, it just things just clicked for me from then in. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing you in the front row, a little <laughs> bit off to the side. <laughs> That's it. I was the one making a nuisance of myself with all my questions, and here I am now. <laughs> uh, there's a connection between making a so-called nuisance of yourself and being here right now. <laughs> being active, inquisitive, uh, appropriately yeah. skeptical. Mm. Yeah, you, you summed me up there. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm, yeah, I'm so inquisitive. Um, and something I'd really like to kind of flesh out with you a bit and get better understanding because really was excited about the, finally we got to do the second Brainspotting International Conference in hosted um, in Denver, yeah. Colorado in July and loved your your keynote speech um on the neuro experiential process and it's something that is embedding and really kind of speaking to me at different levels that'd be really cool to uh, explore that with you a bit well it was uh something that had been developing inside of me for a long time and i had pieces of it and then i something about getting the name neuro experiential helped me to really pull things together and then from there, I started to really just get other aspects of it. Uh, but essentially, um, it's trying to have names and concepts that fit what we see in front of us when we do brain spotting therapy. Okay? Um, and the terms psychological, diagnostic, uh, treatment planning, all these, uh, you know, on and on and on. Um, uh, evidence-based and I'm not saying anything negative about research just uh, even psychotherapy um, uh, I recognize you know we this is our language this is what this is what we grew up on and this is what we took in mm -hmm. but that even even as we grow beyond it and we have different experiences with our clients we're same using the same language and, and the same concepts um, and, uh, and I think it holds us back. I think it confuses us. Uh, and I think it's always good to be clear on what you're doing and to be clear on how you're communicating it. So that's really the genesis of the neuroexperiential model. Uh, it's not meant to reject anything. It's not meant to be um, uh, anything other than trying to get some clarity on, on for, for us within ourselves, with our clients and with us in, in our community uh, when, when we talk together. Mm. It's something that is really fascinating to me, but I know something you've done before in, in kind of developing brain spotting originally and before we got to this neuro-experiential neuro kind of conceptualization around it. Is something you've got to before where maybe, you know, we have a certain identity. And it's interesting that I was looking 
uh, the kind of the genesis i'm interested in where words come from the genesis of the word identity is, is is old and french and it means same again and we develop these identities same again same again same again and we kind of you know get into these deeper furrowed patterns of identity so much so that we believe that that's we believe that that model of reality is reality itself you know, I'm starting to get a sense that there's a way of doing things, a way of being, a way of seeing things. And even going, I mean, just to initially go right back to when you kind of first were doing some slow eye movement work with that young skater 18 years ago mm -hmm. um, and, and stopped on that point and there was the first kind of brain spotting session. Um, it takes, it, it's difficult sometimes to drop our identity and to notice something that may be outside of our norm or normality and then to explore it and expand it in the way that you did with brain spotting. And I'm just interested in, with all of the kind of moments in therapy, tens of thousands of hours and these moments and moments and moments happen, you know, why this one became to fruition for you in the way that it did? Well, first of all, <clears throat> When we finish this, I'm going to be going into session. And in that, then sessions. But in that next session, I'm going to be looking to do things better than I've done it before. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be looking for ways to, uh, to evolve and expand um, uh, because I'm not satisfied. Okay. Uh, I feel I'm limited in what I can do. And that's not self criticism. That to me is is being in reality in this universe, in this moment in time, these moments in time. So if that's where I'm at now, 18 years after, I was definitely there 18 years ago. And, and one of the things I always stress when I tell the story of the skater is she was doing well. This wasn't like, you know, one of those situations where a person just it doesn't seem to be able to break through those dissociative barriers and, and somehow find uh, um, a new equilibrium and a different way of being and perceiving. Um, she, she was just stuck on one thing. And yeah, it was significant because it was blocking her in, in her performance between the short and the long programs of skating. Um, but she was basically a, a success case, you know, case, a success, successful uh, person in, in her healing journey. Um, so that's, you know, so I, I, I wasn't looking for it. Okay. And, and, and I, I think what happens to uh, all human beings are creative and artists are people who maybe have uh, more access to their creative processes. Um, somehow we have more, less filters of, of the kind that separate us from, from our deeper selves. But, um, uh, and this is, we always talk about the subcortex and brain spotting. Our system is a genius and it is delivering us things all the time. The question is, are we looking for what the genius is going to present to us? Remember, you can't tell the, your, your genius system, give this to me and give it to me now. Okay. It gives it, it gives what it wants to give you when it wants to give it. This is the creative process. Um, so, um, uh, that goes for, uh, for all of us. Um, even someone who says, oh, I'm not creative or someone who is not uh, educated or sophisticated, whatever that means. You know, some of the smartest, most knowledgeable people I, I know are not, uh, not educated. Mm -hmm. um, 
maybe they haven't had had the genius, uh, you know, um, programmed out of them. But all that aside, um, I wasn't looking for it. Maybe on some, you know, energy basis, some psychic basis, I was looking for it. I was intuiting it, whatever. I I really don't know. But when it presented itself, okay, um, you know, when her eye wobbled like this, I kind of reacted like that. I'll just say something off topic that's interesting. A tennis player rushing the net when the ball is hit off to their side, the racket literally goes out like that mm. without any thought at all. And then literally, and the ball is hit back and, 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 and the athlete, the tennis player, then kind of realizes almost after it's happened, what happened? Okay, I mean, that's, that's how reflexes work. That's the genius of a reflexes. So for me, when I, when I hit that startle spot and they stopped there, okay, I didn't think about it. It was like it, it happened. And then I noticed it just like, you know, with, with, with the, uh, the tennis player, his racket goes out, you know? Um, but again, that was my deeper self, my reflexive self. You know, it was almost like I had a startle response, you know, and um, but then uh, and so if I didn't, I might have kept on moving. You know, if, if I was dumb enough to think about it instead of respond reflexively. So by by stopping there, um, only then reflexively, when she, when it was like she was looking at my fingers, seeing a video and illustrating the video. And it was like a rolling video from one thing to the next to the next. And it would just process through and something else would come up and process through and something else would come up. Um, I was watching it unfold in real time. Yeah. Okay. And, and I was so into the process that I didn't really even, I wasn't thinking about it. Okay. I only thought about it later, which is, that's the role of the neocortex, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to 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 reflect on things after after they've happened for the most part, um, but after those ten minutes when when it's slowed down, stopped, and then her eye released and so on, and we just continued like this, we went back to what we were doing before. At least it looked that way, and uh, I didn't really know what what had happened. Um, uh, I wondered about it because I had never seen it before. I, not just the, the wobble and the freeze, but really the, the 10 minutes of video healing. Uh, uh, I was already wondering really, what, what is this? You know, I had, I had the sense this is something significant. I had the sense this is something breakthrough. Okay, but, uh, but I was almost afraid to, to entertain that notion. But the next morning when she called me and she said, I did the triple loop, no problem again and again and again, then I started to process it differently. Okay. Because then, you know, some, we can have an amazing thing happen mm -hmm. and then nothing appears to happen from it. We'll probably miss it if it, when it does. But here I had something very direct from it. So, and then from there, you know, starting to look for those eye wobbles and eye freezes and started to see other things that's when I started to get more and more of that, that reinforcement. But like going back to the initial thing, I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't thinking, you know, yes, I, I was not satisfied that I couldn't help people better. Just like today, 
I'm not satisfied that I can't help people better. And I hope I never stop feeling that way, you know, until my, my final session, you know, some far off time in the future. And, and I, it's just something I want to uh, everybody to kind of to know, and I want to be able to give this information, hopefully guide and inspire people with it. Well, I mean, that certainly happened on, on a, you know, on a huge and ever, ever growing scale. And, and I just think it's so amazing what you said there. I mean, I, I know that feeling sometimes where something happens in a session where you're not working the session, it's kind of working you, you know, you're within the session and rather than kind of doing a session, you're being in the session and there's no real sort of, you know, subject object division between you and a client. You're just kind of immersed in some kind of resonance that is very beautiful and difficult to kind of articulate, but it's, it's a moment of complete connection that in itself is, is great. But I know there's moments as well of fear where you mentioned the word fear, which is really interesting where, something's happened that is so powerful that it's just, yeah, it's fearful to really even try and understand it, let alone try and encapsulate it and then respectfully see if you can use it with more and more people without trying to suddenly become uniform and protocolized about something, you know, to keep the essence and the beauty of the kind of immersion in a session and the attunement without suddenly it becoming regimented and it's really interesting I believe you know and I'm really respectful to you how you've managed to maintain that balance I imagine there are many pressures to drift away from that as brain spotting has become more and more established but you, you seem very true and pure to, to the essence of it in that way mm-hmm. uh, well if you're whitewater rafting on rapids that you've never been on before mm. okay if you think you can have a protocol for it, you, you're not gonna succeed in your venture. Mm. You can only, and, and going down neural pathways is like white water rafting. You know, and sometimes it's calm and sometimes it's really uh, intense and turbulent. Uh, but um, there are certain truths about the human experience and the human neurobiology, neuro experience. And, and one of them is um, you can't control and predict it. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can influence, influence it somehow by being present with it. But even, even to the degree that that may be happening, you don't even know what that is. Okay. Our Western neocortex likes, likes to think it does, but, it, but you, never, you never can. So um, if you really understand what I'm saying and what you, what you say in, in your own way, you can't possibly, you, you would never think of using a protocol, mm. okay? And what happens is uh, uh, therapists and healers and artists like yourself and myself and many other people who are listening right now, um, we never fit in. Didn't fit in in elementary school, didn't fit in in high school, didn't fit in college uh, to the degree that they were saying, this is what it is, this is what it isn't, and this is the way to do it. Okay. Um, yes, there are certain things that you have to do in certain steps. However, most things don't fit that way. Okay. Um, and and it's you know it's like the three year old who starts asking why. Hmm. You know, 
they have that curiosity about why is it and where does it come from and what does it mean in, in a three-year-old kind of way um, that, that gets socialized out of us. You know? And in our field as in psychotherapy and psychology, um, there is a very strong uh, demand uh, for compliance. You know? And it's overt and it's subtle and it's pervasive. Um, but it doesn't fit the reality of who we are and what we experience with people who come to us. Does that mean anything goes, you know, you throw the spaghetti against the wall and whatever sticks, sticks? Um, not primarily, no. but it's like, um, we're not close to understanding a fraction of what neurobiology is about. We're not close to a fraction of understanding what the universe is about. So why should we go around with principles that are based on the fact that we can and do? That's the whole thing about the uncertainty principle, which is also a spiritual principle as well as a, a scientific one, a neuroscience scientific one. I love that. The, the, and the uncertainty principle is a stroke of genius, I think, because, I mean, it speaks so much to... Rather than, um, I speak for myself, not just for those that I meet in trainings, but I speak for myself. It, it's so liberating, uncertainty. And, and initially, you know, when introduced to some of these concepts and moving outside of this kind of indoctrination and inculcation of, of this kind of rules that we kind of brought up with, it can feel quite scary. But the uncertainty brings a certain liberation that is, once it's embraced, is so fantastic and it's interesting you know we listen to our clients and our people that we work with for, for how they respond to it like say and um it just seems to create a presence and a flow of healing that i've never seen before you know yeah. once the uncertainty is fully embraced and integrated well it's only scary the way a, a uh, an inmate feels scared when they leave prison yeah. after being incarcerated for many years mm -hmm. you know um and some, you know, it has been said uh, uh, that some people get in trouble to go back into jail because it's too, the, the, the freedom is, is too frightening. Mm. Um, and, and to some degree, there are some people get exposed to the uncertainty principle who run back into the, uh, the prison of certainty um, uh, because uh, it's too, uh, uh, unfortunately, frightening. You know, uh, in, in our essence, there's nothing frightening about it. Mm. It's only after all that inculcation, as, as you were saying. But um, how can you have attunement without uncertainty? How can you have presence without uncertainty? How can you be a witness without you know, uh, uncertainty? How can you have compassion without uncertainty? Now, I'm... I'm I'm demanding that you answer each and every one of those questions more. So. <laughs> <Here we go. laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's rhetorical, but it's, you know, it, it is yeah. debatable, I suppose. Yeah, I, well, I mean, it gets to the point where how can you have certainty about anything? And I just, you know, love how that's met at so many levels. And it was really interesting as well. I'm hearing you, I probably, you, you may have been speaking about this for some time, but I'm hearing you speak more 
um, more so about kind of connections between Eastern and Western approaches to healing, which I think is a fantastic union and, and in integration between two and without each other, there's something missing. You know, there's a wonderful kind of alchemy, I think, that happens between but, the two. But let me jump in. Mm. You have to have the Eastern before the Western. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm. If you try to have the Western before the Eastern, you'll never get to the Eastern. Mm -hmm. mm. And when you start with the Eastern, get to the western a lot of the western just sort of you know fades away yeah well as the more the more you know over the last 10 or 15 years the more the uh, more i've become studying into the eastern approaches um it almost makes a mockery a lot with a lot of the western approaches the western approaches are so dressed up in all sorts of kind of research and rigor um and and surrounded and infiltrated with certainty it's incredible because what the eastern approach is often teaching is about uncertainty which is something we're trying to disprove through p-values and things and and i love it that the idea you know it's a, what is it samsara in, in buddhist terms you know this delusive appearance we have that everything is how we see it you know and even the quantum physicists i love ravelli's words that um you know there are no objects in in reality there are only relationships you know, and this has been known all the way along in Eastern approaches and something we've almost drilled out of ourselves and having to relearn in the Western approaches to, to psychology and certainly when I studied. Mm. Well, the Eastern has been around a lot longer than the Western. Okay. And do we honor the wisdom that has evolved over thousands and thousands of years? Do we honor indigenous wisdom? People having medicines that they go into the rainforest with and they come down with? Um, where did they get that from? Well, you know, thousands of years of, of experimentation and, 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 you know, uh, uh, relying on one's intuitive sense and, and then having it become collective and having it, you know, pass on generation after generation. Um, uh, you can't beat that with a couple of hundred years of, you know, of, of a scientific approach. And then what do you do with the scientific approach becomes a question if you're brave enough to ask, you know, you ask it in, in, with, with the context of, well, maybe we, we release it. Maybe we don't rely on the scientific approach. You know, I, um, you have to at least ask that question and, and or at least the Western scientific approach. Mm -hmm. um, um, but then from there, you can start to find what things really have value what things we can really uh, uh, bring around. And, and again, that goes to the neuro-experiential model. Uh, but uh, I don't know how myself as a United States citizen, as a New Yorker and someone who was brought up in the traditional you know, educational processes, I don't know how I arrived, where I arrived you know, uh, without really studying it. Um, I think it's, I think it's my creative self and uh, self that I remember going back to when I was three years old and just looking around at things and noticing and wondering, and so on, um, being fascinated by things. Before I had the uh, anything other than the intuitive sense, uh, before I had any information, you know, and, and um, I think that's really from whence it it, it derives. Um, and that um, I never lost that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of liberation in being that 
creative, young, playful person. And it's difficult, isn't it, to look at where our belief systems come from within our own lifetimes. We are when we're also aware of the power of intergenerational, ancestral and spiritual influences that can be around us and, and, and within us that we can never really know what they are. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll just jump mm. around a little bit. Go on. Uh, there's a uh, an approach where um, you call in um, people who are no longer alive. I forget what it's called. It comes from some guy from Chicago and was blended with some other modalities and so on. So a friend of mine studied this. Yeah, and I'm, I'm open because I'm not closed. Doesn't mean I'm, I'm gullible, but, but I'm, I'm open. So we did this process and wanted to call in my father, okay, to deal with some things with him. So who walked in? My uncle Leo. All right, who died when I was twenty? You know, uh, <laughs> he said, "Go no," you know, um, uh, you can't, uh, you can't demand things. Mm -hmm. You can ask and then see what happens, but you'll usually get something different. But if you trust the universe, you have you have to believe that. Well, it, there was a reason for this, and, and it's better that I. My uncle Leo came in instead of my father, or mm -hmm. whatever you know reasons, whatever reasons that is. That's a lovely. Thanks. That's a lovely personal example. I haven't heard that one, but it's really fantastic, and I, I love as well the the exploration exploration around these approaches and you know how brain spotting I feel is open and in and can be easily integrated to a lot of these areas of interest, you know, ancestral work and you know and all these kind of things. But I but I really find that as well, that can be really powerful and effective as long as it stays within the framework of being uncertain and attuned and let the rest happen in the way that it needs to happen. But as soon as we start trying to get attached to outcome, you know, something starts to become lost, doesn't it? And, and, and this is where I feel even with the best intentions, sometimes myself included, you know, we can find ourselves straying off into a path where we've lost that sense of uncertainty. And this is where mm -hmm. I feel that the, the outcomes or the progress, the journey becomes compromised. Yeah. In, in relation to outcome, just mm -hmm. take a glass of water and have it be on a sur surface and you're going to pour it out and predict where the water's going to go. Mm. Okay. Uh, and then you'll watch and it doesn't go where you expect it to go. And yet you even have it on a, something that's tilted. And you pour it, well, it's gravity's going to pull down, so it's going to go this way. And you pour it that way. And the patterns don't go, you know. That's that's what we're dealing with, you know. And if you and if, and if you're living in a world where you believe that you know where the water's gonna go, you're unattuned and you're gonna always be wrong. Mm. And you'll be unfortunately incurious. I want I want to just mention ancestral uh, things. Um, first of all, you know, uh, it's exponential. So you have two parents, four grandparents, eight grand, great grandparents, 30, you know, 16, 32, 64, and 128, and it goes on. And, and before you know it, you know, you're in, you're in the mil millions. Yeah. You don't have to go that far back before you're in the millions. Yeah. So, so uh, our ancestors are you know, vast. You know, in that way. So we never, you know, we like to think, oh, I'm getting this from my grandfather, or, you know, and in some ways you, you are, but there's always at the grandparent level, that's four people. Mm -hmm. So 
if you think it's one, you're only uh, 25% of, of, of the way there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and the genetics is a powerful part of it. You know? And our genetics will go back directly to a parent, one parent or another, or it might go back three generations. Have something expressed that goes back to great-great-grandparent, a great-great-grandparent, or two great-great-grandparents, or one great-great and one great-great-great, you know, um, and, and, and there it is. So it's the confluence of that as well as, as the energy memory and the body memory and, and all of these things. Um, two thoughts on that. One, we talk in our field about generational trauma. Mm -hmm. you know? How often do you hear people who aren't indigenous people talk about generational gifts? Okay. And that we're always looking to try to understand and process the generational trauma, but we're not looking to understand and access the generational gifts that come to us. And in brain spotting, we look for eye positions that access, so it can access generational trauma, but it's a whole different level of expansion to access generational gifts, which is such an important part of who we are exploring ourselves and, and, uh, healing ourselves and expanding ourselves. So that's one thing I just wanted to bounce off you to see what comes to mind with that idea. Well, lots, um, so many ideas come up. Um, firstly, I love the way you're looking back generationally beyond grandparents, great grandparents, great, great grandparents. And you know, the more we're doing that, the more we're starting to move towards again, an Eastern idea of this idea of really the collectivism moving much more away from individuation into this collective whole. Whereas, there's an interrelationship between us all at some levels. And then playfully, I like to take that even further back into sort of phylogenetic reincarnations and look at how we've evolved through species over time. And through, um, I think uh, Damasio calls it exaptation. Our, our brain isn't redeveloped with all this new hardware that's put in. We're just continuing to kind of cobble together everything we've got to be able to evolve and adapt to whatever's coming up, you know, as, we, as we're evolving. So it's all in there, you know, it's all in there, this huge, immense kind of collective wisdom uh, of time and, and space all in us, which is fantastically liberating, uh, although overwhelming. So I, I love that side of thing. The, the other side of things about generational gifts is a really lovely way of putting it, conceptualizing it and understanding it. And then it takes me, because I like to make things very difficult for myself, David. So then it takes me to the, the, you know, can we even make a division then when we're really thinking about it between what's generational trauma and what is generational gifts as well? You know, I know our neocortex always and left brain, as McGilchrist would describe it, always wants to be able to compartmentalize and make divisions and put valence to these different experiences. But all these experiences, you know, our gifts of sorts, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, if you want to think in an open way as opposed to a, a closed way or a narrow way, for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, again, when, and this is the thing about brain spotting, the neuroexperiential model, mm -hmm. it's looking to open things and deepen things further <clears throat> without limitation, without boundary, you know? to be open to be curious to explore to receive and to and 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 to know that it's endless mm -hmm. and and to be able to surrender to that to be able to to celebrate that um 
want to just throw out another thing I've been wrestling around with and see see what you do with it. Mm. Um, when we ask in brain spotting or any other therapy, well, oh, what do you feel in your body now or where do you feel in your body now? The yeah. person responds to my chest, my stomach, my knees, you know, and sometimes they'll give detail about what it is. Um, I mean, it sort of struck me. This is this is my hypothesis bias and so on that any body experience, anything that's experienced in the body, is preverbal and precognitive. Okay, direct. Okay, if you got into a car accident and you know, I guess there's body memory that 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 you'll sort of have from that, but that's overlaid on all the preverbal, you know, uh, precognitive body experience, which of course then goes back to, to birth experience, intrauterine experience, and generational experience. So, so I, I think that when we work with that which is in the body, we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that it has anything to do with when we were eight years old or 15 years old or 22 years old or whatever. It's all, let's say, two years and earlier. Yeah. And developmentally goes back from that. Mm. And the idea is we're getting access, that the body gives us direct access to this preverbal, precognitive experience and a chance to process it through and 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 in uncertainty uh, to realize that we'll never know uh, anything but a shred of what this really is. Mm. But if a person goes from an activated body at a, at a suds of eight to a body to, to a, a body that's more relaxed and open at a suds of two, okay, and then they'll you know they go back and they say, oh you know, uh, I don't see that angry face anymore, or it's faded away, or it's kind of smiling and so on. You know, we we uh, adultomorphize it, you know, as opposed to recognizing that it's just very early. And and my and again my hypothesis is that a hundred percent of the body experience is preverbal and earlier, and that when we work with people, we assuming what I'm saying is accurate, we should know it. And and it seems so simple and so straightforward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I totally agree with that. And the foundational and developmental experiences, even going back, like you say, in utero and before are going to be there at the basis of that experiential. Um, exp- and it reminds me of a, a, of a wonderful um, kind of example of that when someone was describing about how um, holograms are made up and holograms being made up of layer and layer and layer and layer and layer and layer of information. And you kind of get this 3D kind of uh, picture or vision image coming out at you, but it's kind of blurred at the same time. And, you know, just kind of likening that to, to our bodies also layering up those experiences. And we try and look in and locate something with sharpness and accuracy, but it's always got this kind of, you know, holographic, opaque quality to it where we can feed it but not quite see it. You know, because I think uh, it's agreeing with you, <laughs> because we've got all of those layers of experience that are well outside of conscious awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, when we use language, it's always inadequate. Okay, mm-hmm. when we talk about the brain and the body and so on, if you talk about layers, that's our that's the best we can do to conceptualize and, and language it and so on. Mm. It's it's not even really layers, you know. 
I mean, we have to be we have to have something to say. But what you're describing is it's not layers. Layers is literal. Brain spotting the frame is a very literal concept of something that is totally not literal, totally nonlinear, um, even beyond con conceptual. So it's just interesting um, that when we try to get smarter, we we always find our way back into the into the literal neocortical world, as opposed to the energy world, mm. where nothing is literal like that. No, no. You know, we talk about the neural pathways. Mm -hmm. You know, because there's some. At least it seems literal. But we we don't talk about the energy flowing down the neural pathways because how do you capture that? I mean, yeah, how'd you capture anything, right? You know, it's, <laughs> how'd you capture anything? You know, I think we kind of dance with these ideas and, and something that come up, an energy for me that's really important that comes up. And, and, and I just wanted to talk to you about this as well, because it is just a word, but it's also a concept. And the more you focus on any word, it becomes more meaningless. If you meditate on any word or thought, it soon disappears into, in, into space, really. But, um, you know, one of the energies I'm really uh, kind of study a lot into and work with, probably because a lot of my work has uh, been with complex children from you know, complex histories and backgrounds, where it's okay to talk about love. And love is something that is, um, you know, kind of replaced. And Bowlby wanted to originally call, you know, attachment theory, love theory, but that was really cool and hip, uncool and hippie-like. So, you know, it became attachment theory. And, and it's something that um, really... Each time I'm really getting to grips with the kind of depth of work and energetic work we're doing in kind of the brain spotting and a neuroexperiential kind of model, there's so much that both seems to resonate with the concept of love and also love never quite fits or does justice or kind of connects it fully. But I'm really loving bringing the word love back into my work, conceptualizations and training around this. I just feel it's been neglected for a long time for all the wrong reasons. And it's one of the most powerful energies around, you know, relational energies we have. And I think in brain spotting, mm -hmm. when we're talking about dual attunement and we're talking about kind of the real connection and that kind of resonance we're having in attunement with another client, you know, that there's love in there. That is part of the kind of energetic kind of transference happening. Well, I don't know what you think of that. <laughs> well, when Freud used the term libido, mm -hmm. it wasn't sexualized at first. It meant love, the, you know, uh, uh, the attachment of love, the energy of love, and all these things. Uh, and, and of course, once you tra translate it into English, you know, when you have medical doctors doing it, it's, you know, get and get away from this, uh, the soulful aspect of it. Uh, You know, we could talk about this for, you know, weeks and 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 beyond. Um, but you can't have healing without love. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and um, the wish for another person to heal to feel better in their own time, their own way, is, is really a, a, a very loving wish. And for us to sit with a person and, uh, you know, when you do pro bono work, it feels a lot better than when you're, you know, working for hire, mm. you know, uh, when you're paid mm. in that way. Because 
then it, it strips away that element and and you know you know what you're, what you're there for yeah you know? yeah but but even when you are getting paid this is what's underneath it it just gets uh you know corrupted in a way i'm just saying experientially not that there's anything corrupt about it mm-hmm. um, um you can't help hit a person to heal without love being present mm-hmm. and it's your own self-love and trying to help them generate their own and access their own self-love and, and to have the exchange of love and, you know, love comes from you to them and from them to you. Um, uh, and, and talk about a, the frame, you know, yeah. uh, that, that's, that's the most uh, non-linear frame, mm-hmm. but that's really kind of what the ultimate frame is. Mm-hmm. You know, and to the degree that, you could you can't define what love is but you but you can kind of know it you can kind of feel it yeah and it's, it's kind of you know one of the foundations of love seems to be around acceptance doesn't it about accept we're kind of allowing ourselves to accept whoever that person is that we're working with and whatever's turned up for them at that moment in time maybe you know we're just walking into a session and in a way you know, kind of even, you know, us being able to be open and accepting that is showing something loving to, to that the person has turned up right there and then. And in doing so, there's that kind of internal love. It's like, and expecting our clients as hard as the pain is to then be able to turn acceptance by an acknowledgement towards their own pain, their own activation in the system. You know, and it just seems to be this reciprocal, we can call it co-regulation, but it's also a reciprocal kind of sense of love and acceptance that seems to be the core of this healing and i think you know brain spotting really allows for that and, and in raising this it perfectly fits with the neuro experiential model mm. and it has no place in the psychological or psychotherapeutic model mm. so it's, it's a great way to illustrate the difference the mm. differences mm. see it's not only like okay for that to be part of the neuro neuro experiential model you know, it's not only okay for it to be part of the frame, it's, it's essential to be part of the process. Think of the difference between where something is not there, not considered part of it, to where in another model, it's essential to it. Yeah. You know, and where does love fit in with science? You know, uh, well, if science is the study of the universe and love is in the universe and it's it's one of the most important forces in the universe. Then um, uh, science has to have has to be able to acknowledge and recognize that, especially these so-called science of psychology. Mm-hmm. Oh, wouldn't that be nice and refreshing? Rather than reduce everything down to to at a cellular level, if we can actually kind of embrace and look at the kind of entirety of this kind of energies, including love. I mean, that would be that would be research I'd be interested in doing. Mm-hmm that's i mean that's beautiful uh, david it feels like um you know i've really enjoyed hearing and reading and, and hearing you speak more and more about this neuro expansion model because for me it's 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 not a it's not a departure in any way but an expansion of the understanding of brain sport and what it means and it's just been it feels so full now it's really filling out beautifully and i know you you know you, you're very open to influence well, from all of it's, your it's worldwide the community. it's the ultimate bottom-up model yeah yeah but it, even it bottom up is literal it's not really bottom up but what it is 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 it's from from in us and around us yeah. 
in ways that we carry that we're not consciously in touch with, mm-hmm. to how it arises in us to our sense of, of consciousness about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, and, uh, and that's expansive and that's open, you know, and I call it neuro because that's, that's how the nervous system works. But, um, but the nervous system is not just the Western concept of the nervous system. Okay. You have the Eastern concepts of chakras and meridians and, you know, uh, energy and so on. Uh, so, so neuro, you know, is not just, I'm not, I'm using a Western term, but I'm expanding it, you know, to, to make it cover everything, including, and especially the indigenous and even the spiritual, uh, the spiritual is, is interesting. And, 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 uh, we're, I know we're coming towards the end and we're going to have to follow this up. Okay. We're going to have to have a uh, part two and maybe, maybe more, because uh, this is just too much fun for both of us. Yeah. Um, uh, but how is it that, that spirituality and spiritual practices have existed around the world and developed around the world mm-hmm. among peoples who didn't communicate with each other? You know, if you want to get scientific about that, there's something there. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and the spiritual is in the context of the knowing. You know, it's knowing what we know just because we know it. And if one person has an idea, well, you know, that's, that's their idea. But if you have peoples around the world that share different uh, angles on, on, on the same ideas, well, then you should be asking, well, well, what is that instead of uh, negating that, Mm -hmm. you know, and since uh, religion and spirituality and uh, is so much a part of healing, historically, generationally, you know, we should be looking at, at, at that as well. I love that, the inclusivity and diversity, you know, just being such okay. a huge part. Okay. It's not inclusivity. It's the absence of exclusivity. <laughs> okay. Okay. Remember, it's like people say, you know, uh, they come to a training and they say, oh, you've given me permission to. I think to myself, who the hell am I to give this person permission to anything? Mm. Okay, I'm just presenting things in such a way that they're able to take their own ownership of it. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, um, um, uh, you know, we again, this is part of our inculcation. We have things backwards and upside down. Mm. You know, um, uh, it's not inclusive. Who the hell are we to include anything? Mm. The universe is what she is and, and they is and, and they are and, they, and, and breathes and so on. And, um, uh, you know, the best we can, we can do is, is to just be, uh, to not be exclusive. Mm. To, instead of narrowing our view, to always be widening our view. No matter how wide it is, to, to see how we can continue to widen it, not just this way, not just this way, but in every way. I like that. I'm going to get rid of inclusiveness, completeness. I'm going to, I prefer that. That's, 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 that's poetry to me. David, thank you so much. Like you say, to be continued, but thank you uh, for everything, for being such a great friend, mentor and, and visionary and really, you know, for enlightening 
so many of us in the way that you have with your discoveries as we together you know make these kind of um we just do this work together you know and it's just it feels beautiful so thank you well you had a great deal of knowledge and wisdom and experience and spirit before you met me and so you know my influence with you went you know flowed it was a tributary into that into that powerful stream and uh and you have certainly uh you both carried forth my ideas and made them your, your own, which is what I look towards. Uh, but you have certainly influenced me and continue to influence me. I praise indeed. Thank you very much, David. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode. And if you're curious to find out more about this guest of the show, then please see their links below. Thank you for joining me for Or in Trauma. Until next time, bye-bye.